The Iraqi army, which triggered the crisis by seizing Kuwait in August 1990, was much smaller and far less cohesive and formidable than thought. The evidence suggesting that Saddam Hussein planned to follow his occupation of Kuwait by invading Saudi Arabia, seizing its oil fields, was far less convincing than as stated by President George Bush. The Iraqi regime was and continues to be, without question, a brutal violator of human rights. But some of the most highly publicized accusations after the takeover of Kuwait, for example, that Iraqi soldiers force nurses to remove newly born infants from hospital incubators, consigning them to death, were found to be deliberate lies, products of a well-financed Kuwait propaganda operation in the United States. Much criticism revolved around the censorship that the Pentagon successfully imposed on American journalists covering the war and the ready acceptance of those restraints by the press corps. The major television networks were adjudged to be the worst offenders. Every night, Americans were fed a view of the Gulf War that essentially was being shaped by public relations experts in the White House and the Pentagon. The complaints, by and large, were the stuff of little-noted congressional reports and academic journals. The public's perception of the sheer success in the Gulf War could not be undone by after-the-fact naysayers. It was our Teflon War. The gloss was finally marred, not by critics, but by the men and women who fought in the war and who remained loyal to its causes, its leaders, and its success. What happened was simple enough. Beginning in the fall of 1991, veterans, primarily members of reserve or National Guard units, began getting sick with a variety of vague but debilitating symptoms, including rashes, stomach distress, and memory loss. Some victims said they had first noticed the ailments while on duty in the Gulf. Others reported the onset after their return home. Some family members also reported similar symptoms. Naturally, the GIs turned to military doctors and veteran administration hospitals for help. However, the initial response of the military medical system was to turn away and to characterize the illnesses as having absolutely nothing to do with service in the Gulf. Word filtered down the military chain of command suggesting that those who complained were reserve or National Guard malingerers and malcontents, men and women who could not handle the stress of combat as readily as those committed to full-time service in the Army, Marines, Navy, and Air Force. By early 1993, with more than 4,000 Gulf War veterans reporting symptoms and the numbers steadily mounting, VA doctors were telling GIs that they were suffering from psychological stress, a phrase, as most in the Pentagon understood, that was considered by soldiers to be synonymous with cowardness. A few veterans were handed a supply of the drug Prozac by military doctors and told to return in three months. The antidepressant replaced aspirin, a World War II staple, as an all-purpose medicine. Only a few reporters and a few members of Congress and their staff cared. By the mid-1990s, the trickle of ill and complaining GIs had turned into a well-organized tide of protesters who were convinced that the military services had placed their renewed reputation as warriors above any obligation to take care of their own troops. It had happened before. The military resisted efforts for more than 20 years to authorize benefits for Vietnam War veterans who suffered from exposure from the toxic defoliants primarily a dioxin known as Agent Orange, used to clear the jungle in the Vietnam War. The Pentagon 
still was not listening to the Gulf War veterans, but some members of Congress, responding to intense lobbying from veterans groups, kept alive the issue of who was sick and how they got that way. The First Lady, Hillary Clinton, eventually intervened, and a Presidential Advisory Committee came into being in 1996 to investigate the spread of the mysterious Gulf War illness. The Commission was highly critical of the military's handling of the crisis, but its essential conclusion, the anger and dismay of the veterans, was to echo the Pentagon in concluding that the sick GIs were suffering from stress. The White House of Bill Clinton, who was privately reviled by many senior officers in the military as a draft dodger and an advocate of gays in the military, was no match for a Pentagon that did not want to come to terms with the real cost of the Gulf War. At this writing in the spring of 1998, more than 90,000 Gulf War veterans have reported some degree of physical distress stemming, so they are convinced.